It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone, Elvis Andrews. And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Aminio left the building. Guerrero lifts one to left field, and gone. Oh, Tani. That was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I wish I had better information for you. But unfortunately, the A's have now lost 11 straight games to the Seattle Mariners. They're 14. The Mariners are 14-4 and four against the Athletics in this season. And when you go back and look at teams that beat the A's 11 straight times, you got to go back to the 1977 Texas Rangers you got to go back to the 1978 Baltimore Orioles. You got to go back to the 1997 Anaheim Angels. And now the Seattle Mariners have beaten the A's in 11 straight games. And they've outscored the A's, looking at it, 59 to 30. 59 to 30. That is so hard to believe. Coming up here on the show at 4.30, our buddy Bip Roberts is going to be here. Chris Rose will be here at 5 o'clock. And Kylie McDaniel will be here at 5.30. But, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're at a point. I didn't even want to check today. And the commander checked. I didn't even want to check it. So, commander, you checked fan graphs. And what other site did you check? What are the A's play? I don't even want five games left. I don't even want to talk about playoff odds because it's actually kind of ridiculous. But you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. So fan graphs, uh, it seems like their playoff odds switch every like every five minutes. Because when I looked earlier, uh, the Mariners were at 15%. Now they're 15.2. The A's, 0.0% chance to make the postseason. So we went from 0.1 yesterday to 0.0 today. Yeah, and if you want to look at baseball reference, less than 0.1%. What is less than (laughs) 0.1%? Essentially 0.0, but it says on there literally there's a less than sign, 0.1, and then the percentage sign. So that's that's what I, I wasn't great at math. I'm gonna be honest with you. My San Jose State math isn't very good. 
but I'm I'm going to say that less than 0.1% means there's probably not a chance that the Oakland Athletics will be making the postseason. I mean, if they do, that's really remarkable. After they can literally go, nobody nobody thought we'd make it here. Nobody thought we'd be here if they can pull it off with four games left. But uh, would that be <laughs> the greatest comeback in the history of sports when you were given zero point zero chance to make the postseason? Like, why are we not eliminated yet? Uh, well, uh, well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but. Saw it in the game notes earlier. Uh, the, the tragic number is down to two. They, the A's we do not have an E next to our name on MLB.com. That's true. So the ma- tragic number is two. The A's can be eliminated with a loss today in game 159. As I will put the A's four games behind the Mariners with three to play. The only Tell time- me how the A's get in. I want to know how with five games left, three and a half games back of the second wild card, we do not have an E next to our name. How do the A's step over Toronto, step over Seattle, and step over Boston and make it to the wild card game? How does that work? Uh, well, pull up the standings right now. Let's let's take a look. Okay, so the A's essentially need to win every game and get to 89 wins. I'm po- fine with that. Possible. But – the Mariners also are playing really well. They've won three in a row. The Yankees have won seven in a row. So let's not worry about the Yankees because I think they're going to – they... y- Yankees are a non-factor at this point. Uh, it's basically Boston, Seattle, and Toronto. So you need Boston to win – essentially win – if they, they can only win one more game because then you each have 89 because they have 88 wins. The A's have to win out in Boston and, and Seattle have to nosedive essentially. And Toronto. Yeah, that's I mean, yeah. Seattle and Toronto need to, to need to lose out, and Boston only can win one game, and the A's have to win out. Well, S- Seattle's got eighty-eight wins. Yeah, and they're uh, as I told you before we came on, it came out today that Shohei Otani is not going to pitch the season finale on Sunday against the Mariners in Seattle. So maybe the the uh, Mariners have a shot going into the last day, but I mean we'll we'll never know. I mean it's been twenty so years. So basically, the A's have to win every game. Boston, Seattle, and Toronto have to lose every game. Uh, pretty much. And I mean, and Boston can only win one game because then that'll move into eighty-nine, and the A's winning out will get them to eighty-nine. And if he wants, uh, I was going to give you optimism, but Michael Brantley was activated from the injured list today, so he'll be playing for Houston this weekend. So there's that. I I need optimism. I I mean, we got to have a chance, right? Yeah, I mean. Fangraphs or baseball reference has it less than 0.1%. So there's there's not so a 0-0 zero, zero there. everybody else loses and the A's win every game, they're in the postseason. What possibly could go wrong? Um, yeah, I don't think anything will. <laughs> I think it's going to be smooth, smooth sailing to the uh, to Sunday night. Or the, uh, what, I don't think there is a Sunday night baseball game. So they're all playing. Yeah, they'll play till the same time, essentially. So, uh, yeah, nothing's going to go wrong. You remember, um, the Yankees and Jays are playing right now, so you're rooting for the Yankees. And Garrett Cole's pitching tonight. So there's that. Boston can't beat the Orioles all of a sudden. And, uh, well, the A's can't beat Seattle. So, I mean, that's not really in our favor. But uh, they win today. It all changes today. Yeah, just win, win, win the day today. Start with Frankie one. Frankie Montas. As we like to say, biggest start of his career. That's been every Got start. Got win. Today, today, 
today, can we finally say it? Baseball people hate this. Can we finally say it's a must win? Oh, it totally is. Uh, well, we, we've been saying a it's a must win game. <laughs> I think we've been saying that for the last like two weeks, but now it actually means something. Because who do I have on today? Do I have Ken or Vince? Whoever I'm doing in A's total access, brought to you by Francis Ford Coppola Winery. They will have to finally admit today is a must-win game, and it's all on the line today. And Frankie Montas is, uh, as you said, this is the biggest start of his career. We've been saying that since like June 30th. <laughs> it's the biggest start. I mean, he he's he could join elite company or take over elite company in, in A's lore tonight. He has 200 strikeouts on the year. If he gets five, six more, he'll pass Zito, Stoudemire, and Stu among the uh, the on the leaderboard uh, with 205 strikeouts. So it's pretty impressive. But get the win. Not really. I mean, today's baseball where no one goes deep yeah, in the games. I mean, but if you're not striking out a ton of people in today's baseball, I, I, I'm checking your stuff. I mean, let's let let's be honest. Today's baseball, it's just. Seriously, everybody should be striking out 200 batters. But uh, a lot of guys don't, though. It's it's it. I wouldn't say it's shocking, but some guys still don't have the strikeouts. Well, you know stuff. why they don't do it? It's because they don't pitch enough innings. Also true, and I, I I'm sure you might have saw it yesterday. Jacob Degrom uh, officially shut down for the rest of the year. Thanks, Mets. Uh, there's only a week, not even a week left, and you shut him down. But we already knew that. Was he going to come back and pitch over the weekend? This is a thing that, that, like, Shohei Otani, as great as he is, and he'll probably win the MVP, I don't know what you do going forward with him. Like, okay, he's this great talent. He's got to be in the lineup every day because, you know, he's your second-best offensive player. And I will say that out of respect for Mike Trout. But how do you build a rotation around a guy that you never know when he can pitch? How is that healthy for a rotation? Well, we're going to have six guys. And, well, now he's going to be pushed back for two weeks. And, like, can you really build a rotation around a guy that you don't know when he's going to throw? Now, I will say this. You look around baseball and the amount of innings. Now, maybe it's it's just because of COVID and we'll go back to normal next year. But if a guy can't take the ball every five days, if he can't give you 32, 33 starts, how valuable really is he? Is that a fair question? I think so because he's going to be a free agent in 2023 and people are already talking about him getting – uh, what was it like? Fifty million dollars a year potentially. Fifty million dollars, and I don't know if he can go every five days. Yeah, that seems a bit much. Now we know what he can do offensively, but if you're paying him for two for to be a two way player, it's going to be a little hard to do that because you don't know if he's going to pitch or if he's going to pitch once every two weeks. I mean, why 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 are you paying him to be a starter? Just have him be a reliever then. How does that work for your starting rotation? If you know that, you know, this guy might make a couple starts in a row and then I got to push him back and I got to, like, how does that work in a five-man rotation? Now, obviously, guys get injured. You have to make adjustments. I get it. 
But if you're talking about a guy being a primetime guy, I don't remember how many times Greg Maddox went on the, 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 the back then the DL or Roger Clemens or Randy Johnson. These guys took the ball every five days and they did it for many, many years and they would give you 30 something starts. I don't know. Like, like, is he giving me 18 starts? Is he giving me 22 starts? Who did we have on from the Angels recently? Um, well, we had Matt. Let's see, Angels. Matty V. Um, wasn't Gooby or Langston? So who else we had on from the Angels? We only we I usually use the same couple guys. Oh, um, Terry Smith. Terry Smith. We had Terry Smith on, and Terry Smith said, "Voice of the Angels on the radio." He said, "We may never see this again." And I think he might be right. Like, there's going to have to be a decision of how many times this guy gets an opportunity to pitch in a game. And that's why I threw out there, it's like the Mark Langston, uh, not, not, uh, the, the uh, uh, Mark Kotze that I saw in college, where Kotze played center field, he beat you up for four at-bats, and then he came in and closed out the games. That might be the future of this guy because, you know, how many starts has he had this year? Otani? Uh, let me pull it up. 20, maybe? 21? I, I know I have his final line in front of me for what he did this year. I'll give you that real quick. While I pull up his, he, he went 92 with a 318 ERA, 156 strikeouts, 44 walks, and 130 and, and a third innings pitched. Uh, pull up how many starts he had. He had. How slow is your internet, for God's sake? Um, it's just baseball reference sometimes goes slow. Uh, 23 starts he had this year. 23. How many times was he scheduled to start and got pushed back? Well, well, there was the Bart incident, so there's one. <laughs> I mean, versus us multiple times. Yeah. Uh, it seems like every time they, he was playing against the A's, it was like, he was. oh, he's not going to pitch. Oh, he is going to pitch. Oh, he's not going to pitch. But yeah, twenty three starts for him. But yeah, it was, um, I would say probably at least four or five times we've seen it where he. And wasn't you think start. this is sustainable as he gets older? Yeah, he's twenty seven, and he'll be twenty eight next year uh, on July fifth. So, what do you think he's going to be like in his thirties? Uh, not like this. <laughs> That's so. I'm like, you know, what 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 is the? And now, obviously, I'm not rooting for him. Uh, he's an angel, but like long-term, this guy's a dynamic talent that we have never seen anything like him before. What is the best way to utilize this dynamic talent? And if you're going to constantly be saying, well, he can't pitch now, but he's going to pitch in a week and he, you know, it's going to be, you know, he's in his, by the way, he's in his prime. Now he's at Tommy John, but he's in his he's in his prime. What do you think it's gonna be like when he's 30, 31, 32, 33? You're gonna get what 15 starts out of the guy? That guy's not that valuable. I just don't like that they're shutting like I don't like that they're shutting him down. His best two starts of the year were his last two. He won eight he won eight innings of two run ball against the A's in Anaheim. 
And then against Seattle the other day, he went seven innings, allowed one run, struck out 10. He struck out 10 against the A's as well. Those were his two best starts. He threw over 110, or he threw 108 against the A's and 112 against the Mariners. Those are his two best starts, and you're shutting him down? Let him finish out the season. Hey, by the way, do you think the A's are uh, watching a guy throw 112 pitches? Yes, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. When's the last time we allowed a guy to go 112 pitches? Well, we haven't had a complete game this year. Huh? Well, yeah, actually, we have. We have a few. Mania and Bassett. How many Bassett have in that complete game he had? I'll pull that up. I mean, I we, we're we pulling guys with 87 pitches. Well, it was Frankie a couple starts ago, right? You know, that Frankie's been pulled with 80-some pitches the last couple starts. He was tired. Like, what? To get a guy to go into the eighth and ninth inning now is like, is it's like a dinosaur. In Bassett's complete game, he threw 114. He and that was when? That was on May 27th against the Angels. Because lately, we're pulling guys well, we're pulling guys before they even have 90 pitches. Uh, Bassett's made 27 starts. How many of them has he thrown 100 pitches? I'd say one or two. It's actually seven. And there's one start where he had 99. But seven out of the, seven out of the 27, he's gone 100 pitches. So he's the one guy they've allowed. Yeah, uh, Manai's pitch count usually climbs a little bit, but you're right. Like we're not uh, the pitching stuff here isn't going seven innings or 110 pitches every start like some other teams are. That's something we're going to have to talk to David Forrest about this week, which will be our last conversation with David for pretty much the year. What? 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 What is it about the pitch count that freaks out the front office so much? It's a legitimate question. I don't, I don't, I don't disagree. I'm, I'm looking at Manaya real quick, and he, he's had 23 starts where he's gone 90 or more, and he's had eight where he's gone 100 or more. He, he had a few 98, 99. He's got eight that went 100 more? Yeah. He has a, I'm shocked by that. He has one ninety nine, and he has two 98s, and then he has a 97. Like He, he has a lot of high numbers, so – um, he went over a hundred pitches eight times this year. Yeah. The most recent one would have been. Yeah. But what, like, it's gotta be like low one hundreds. His most pitches in a start, he did it twice. He had 111. But yeah. Usually it's one Oh, 100, one Oh one. He's gone 101 pitches three times. Then one Oh four, one Oh six. And the sad thing, and those are like, those aren't like long innings. Like he did that in like six innings. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, he, let's see. Uh, five innings, five innings, seven where he threw 101. He had 100 pitches in five innings. Uh, 101 and four and two thirds. 104 oh. and five and two thirds. Uh, then he had 106 over seven, 111 and six. What's the deepest Shamanai has gone this year? He is a complete game. But other than that, he's gone seven innings. Manai has gone seven and a third against, he won seven and a third against Tampa back in May. At home. So he's got a complete game, seven and a third. What else? Seven and a third, then a bunch of sevens. Uh, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, five different outings of seven innings, and then a couple six and two thirds. And then and that's pretty seven. good. You know, when we look back on it, the A starters have thrown more innings 
than any other staff in baseball. I know it doesn't seem like it, but that is a reality that the A starters have thrown more innings than any other staff in the game. But it's kind of shocking when you say, like, God, oh, he went seven, eight. You're like, you don't really remember all of that. No. I mean, you don't, you don't realize how much Cole Irvin, as much as Cole, what, however you feel about his year, Cole has given you a lot of innings. And it tells you about how sad the game is from a standpoint of starting pitching to where it's shocking when you say the A's starting staff has thrown the most innings. And then you look around baseball and go, really? That tells you a lot about where we are in 2021. Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling up the the. Uh, I was looking. I was looking at um, uh, Frankie Montas's. How many times he's got 100 pitches? How many times do you think Frankie's done it? Once again, I keep going low. I, I keep losing <laughs> on this bet. So go go, I, go, I, go go a little higher than you did uh, before. Uh, seven, eight times. Uh, it, the answer is 11, 11 times. He's got a hundred and there's a couple of 99s, a bunch of 98. When's the last time though? That he won a hundred. That was September. Actually, it was his last start against Houston. He won 106 over seven. The 20th, really? the 24th. Yeah. A few days ago, the 14 to two game. All right. Go to the game before though. Was it like 87 pitches? That's where I was flipping out. In the post-game show. Uh, let me do it by date. Yes. He, over seven innings, he won 87 pitches. He walked four, struck out seven. Yeah, I was like, you've thrown 87 pitches. Why are you taking him out? There was a start on August 4th against the Padres where he went six innings and had 86 pitches. And if you remember that game against the Angels where he had 87 pitches... The bullpen barely got out of it. It was Romo. I think it was Chafin, Romo. It was like they, as as I was saying in the postgame show, they won by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling up that game right now. Uh, it was, let's get, let me get to the pitching. It was Diekman won an inning. Roma won a third of an inning, gave up uh, two runs, one earned, and then Trevino came in to close it out. That's when Luke came back in, and I think it's when we had the Yon uh, uh, Gomes audio of him talking about having Lou throw the changeup in the fastball. Yeah, that was good audio, by the way. Yeah, so that's that's how that, that game was closed. Otani pitched that day against him. Eight innings, one run, or two runs, ten strikeouts. So that's, that was a good yeah, pitching goal. E- 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 even the guy who is like, can't stay healthy. He won eight innings. <laughs> yeah. The, the the shocking guy is Cole Irvin. I'm looking at because he – I'm looking how many times. He's gone 100 pitches or more twice. But he goes he, – that was in two games where he had eight innings. Eight innings, 102 pitches. That's pretty economical if you ask me. You know, that's where the, 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 the question – the way front offices – have changed pitching, are they getting to a point, they're not going to admit this, but are they getting to a point to where they're going to run out of arms? That's, I, I think it's a legit, I mean, 
for everybody out there listening, Cody and I went to a San Jose Giant game where we're talking about low A. They had this left-handed pitcher. I don't. Do you remember his name? I have no clue who who was pitching. Uh, no, I don't. You, you were worried. You were worried about the beer batter. You were not worried about who was on the mound. Um, but yeah, I don't, I'm trying to remember who, who it would have been. But keep going. I'll, I'll I'll look it up. See if I can remember who it was. So they had this left-handed pitcher who's cruising. This guy was that against the Ports or the Grizzlies? Uh, that was against the Ports because that was that was the last game we went to. All right. So that so that. He, this guy's mowing down. This is a professional pitcher in low A mowing down the Stockton ports. I don't think he gave up a run. And all of a sudden, I want to say it was in the fourth inning, the manager came out and took him out. And I remember looking at you and right field Will going, what the hell are they doing? And then right field Will good friend of the program, said, you see this every game. They do not allow guys to throw five innings. And I remember when we went and looked at Jesus Lazardo. Jesus Lazardo did not have a ton of innings in the minor leagues. He literally was allowed to throw like four, maybe five, and they would take him out. So essentially... It was go out there and throw as hard as you can, and we're going to allow you to do it for like four innings, and we're taking you out. And what we're seeing now is you get to the big league level, guys can't go long in games, which means you need more of your bullpen guys, but after a while, you burn out your bullpen. Is there their style of baseball that they have created from the minor league level through the big leagues, is it sustainable? Is that a legitimate question? I mean, from what we've been seeing, I, th- I think it, it needs to be asked, to be honest. Because um, I think some – I mean, look at the, I mean, look at what the Angels did this year. Their starting pitching has been so bad, they drafted 20 pitchers. 20 rounds, 20 pitchers. So – and they've been going pitching heavy. So I'm, are you, maybe that's going to be the new draft strategy. The teams are going to start drafting pitchers – because they know there could be a shortage of arms, especially next year, because how is this year going to affect p- pitchers going into next year? Because we, we that's what people are starting to say now because of what happened with the COVID-shortened season. Well, I know a guy that doesn't love pitchers. That's the great Bip Roberts, and he joins us next right here on A's Cast Live. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. The Bibster, the All-Star, the kid from Oakland is going to join us in moments. As, is, is he on tonight on uh, NBC Sports California? Well, it's a good question. Uh, I thought I saw Shooty and, and Sue the other day doing it, so I don't, I don't think Bibster's doing this one. But um, I know he has a new show that he wants to talk about with us, too. So I'm going to let him know to give us a give us a call uh, well, right before we went to break. Uh, well, record was broken. I didn't get a chance to get the highlight, but uh, and I know people don't want to hear this, but Marcus Simeon just set the uh, record for home runs by a second baseman with his 44th home run. So good for Marcus. Marcus. Hey, he could, as Kylie McDaniel might tell us, could he be the next manager of the Padres? Not Marcus Simeon. But Marcus Simeon is going to be the next man <laughs> player manager for the Padres. Who was the last player manager in baseball? Uh, I would probably guess Pete Rose. Yeah, I think you. I think you're right. I was going to even go way back uh, before that. Frank Robinson, but I think Pete oh. was the last guy with the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, it was. Uh, it was Pete Rose, and there was also Tris Speaker, Frank Robinson, and Louis Boudreau, who were player managers. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't betting on he, he he was betting on himself to win. Well, I mean, the Reds are pretty. I mean, the Reds were a decent team, a little a decent little team when he met, was a manager and a player. <laughs> I think they won a World Series or two with him as a, uh, as a not player. with him as manager. No, but as a player, they did. Um, can you imagine being a player manager in today's baseball? Like, you think of, like, everything Bob Melvin has to do in a day. You got to deal with the front office. You got to deal with the media. You got to deal with the media before the game. You got to deal with the media after the game. And can you imagine being a player, too? It's a lot of pressure on uh, one guy. I'm going to call Bipster, by the way. I don't think he saw my text, so. That's a lot of pressure to put on one guy to, to do all that stuff before game starts. Can you imagine? <laughs> I can't imagine. You know what? We're going to ask Bob Melvin about that this week for the Bob Melvin show. What would that be like if you were a player manager? I mean, unbelievable the pressure. Bibster, how are you, buddy? What's up, Tony? You know, we were just talking about it. The last player manager was Pete Rose. Can you imagine in modern-day baseball – what it would be like to be a player and a manager at the same time? I cannot imagine that, man. It's, I heard you say the word pressure. You you talking about pressure? You know, fill the lineup. Where did you hit as the manager? Where, where would you hit? Where would you put yourself? You know, and you think about it today. How much would you pay yourself? I mean, it's so much to that player manager. We know what happened when Pete was player manager. He <laughs> He decided, well, 
this is not gonna work for me. Let me just become manager, you know, because you get to that age where I think you start to think about one or the other. How can you do both? I think that is so difficult to do. I, I don't know if it could be done. Yeah, like I'm thinking like like Frank Robinson, uh, you know, it's like he's sitting in the middle of the order and you would have to take the questions about roster moves, what you did with the bullpen, and then, okay, you went 0 for 4, hitting 4 for the lineup. <laughs> it's just like, how would that work? That's a, you know, you say you want to live life slow. I think that's just speeding life up right there to where you're living two lives at once. And I don't know if that could be done, especially not today, because you got the social media, you have cable TV that has a sports program on every channel. And now you have the media that just stretches across the world and they all want to ask questions. And I, I just think that you go from having, you know, a young hair to gray hair quickly. And, and I don't know if you want to age your life like that. that. That's just moving too fast. When we all say take it one day at a time, you're actually moving two or three days at a time. And, and, and again, I, I don't know if the human body was, was made to, to take on that type of stress. What is this time of year like for a player where you got, you know, five games left, you know you're not going to be in the postseason. W- w- playing out the rest of the year, what is that like for a player? Yeah, you, you want to finish strong. You, you want everybody in the organization to know that you're the guy they want to bring back next year. You want to keep that, that mind, that concentration level at a high peak right now. You don't want to have a letdown and in the last five games you go 0 for 20. You want to finish strong. You want to make sure that you take every at-bat seriously. You want to make sure that you're preparing yourself for that game. And, and you just want to make sure that you end it on a high note. You don't, you, like I said, you don't want people to think that, you know, well, you know, he didn't play this well. Or he didn't. Do, you want people when you leave that clubhouse the last day to know that you gave 100%, 162 games. And, you know, that's all you can do. You know, if, if you're not going to the playoffs, which right now it, it's just so bleak right now, that only thing you can do is leave a lasting impression of the type of player you are. So I just hope that every guy in that organization right now, every guy that's in that lineup right now is giving his best and, and he gets the results that he's looking for. You know, that's so interesting that you say that because it really is in all of sports. It doesn't matter if you play in Major League Baseball or the NFL or the NBA or the NHL, every talent evaluator is watching you. So yeah. it's like, yeah. it's like you're, 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 what is that like to where you're always auditioning, whether it's for your own team or maybe for somebody else? Yeah. You know, you could be out there and you could be in the plans this year, but all of a sudden, you know, you had such a great year at the end that, other teams are now interested. And then all of a sudden now that becomes trade talk and where you were a vital part or you were going to be a part of a team for the next five years because you do have a contract. Let's just say you have a contract. Other teams are now interested. Say, you know what? We could use that guy here if we trade him this guy. And before you know it, you're on a different team because the other guys want you more than the guys who have you. And so it, it becomes very interesting as, as we get now into the last part of the season 
and then going into the winter where now all of a sudden organizations start to to go back and say, okay, do we have what it takes to win a World Series? Well, maybe we could get this guy or we can get that guy. You know, we had our scouts on him for the last three months of the season and he performed very well. He would fit in with us if we give up this guy or a minor leaguer or somebody to go with that. You know, and all of a sudden now you start to have trading cards. Here comes the trading card thing where we're going to trade this card for that card because we feel like this makes us a better hand. And it's just, it's, it's amazing how this game works. One day you are the talk of the organization. The next day you are the talk of the organization that's going to get traded. So it, it's just funny. I've been on both sides of that. So I've had organizations tell me, we're not trading you. We're not going to trade you. And then the next year you're <laughs> traded to another team. So who knows what's going to happen, you know, but you make sure that you're ready. That's the bottom line is that make sure your talent is ready for whatever they're going to do. Well, I've always said you're one of my favorite players that I watched growing up in San Diego. And I was there in 1992 for the All-Star Game in San Diego where Bip Roberts was an All-Star for the Cincinnati Reds and you got a standing ovation from the crowd. I will never forget that. You know, Tony, that was one of those, those moments where you go, I wish I could just you know, rewind this and do it all over again. Because, you know, I was in San Diego and then traded to Cincinnati and the All-Star game was in San Diego, which I was able to come back and play as a Red. And you just don't know what it's going to be like. You don't know what type of crowd ovation you're going to get or attention you're going to get. And when he introduced my name and I stepped out and I gave the salute because we were in San Diego and, you know, it's a military town, so I gave the salute. And then I heard this noise, and I was what? And then it was the crowd went nuts. The crowd went nuts. I was not anticipating that or expecting it, and it lasted so long that I I forget uh, one of the guys. He he kind of took his hat and hit me in the back of the head, like, "Hey, get back here. Let's keep this keep this thing moving," because it just seemed like it wasn't going to stop. And it's a, it's a day I will never forget. The feeling I have and the love that I have for San Diego, it still exists, and so. I was just, again, I was taken back by that, but it was just, it was a magnificent day. It, it really was. And then Tom Glavin couldn't get it out of the first inning. <laughs> <laughs> it was a horrible game. Yeah, the game started off horrible. I mean, you, when you think about that American League lineup that those that he was facing, and those guys in American League at that time, they were like softball hitters. You know, they they could sit on soft stuff and, and boy, 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 I mean, from the first hitter to the last hitter, I, I think they almost batted around twice that first inning before we even had a chance to hit. So it was just, it was just from, from the beginning of the game, we were behind, and it, it didn't matter. Ken Griffey Jr. had an outstanding game. He was yeah. the, the game's MVP, and I got a chance to see Joe Carter and Roberto and, and Sandy and, and all the guys, Johnny Cruck. It was so many guys who had played for the Padres previously who had made the all-star team. So it was a reunion of Padre guys and, and, and all the guys played well in the all-star and, and it was a moment I'll never forget. Yeah. It was like a record of former players coming back and playing at a stadium that they came up with. It was incredible. The amount of former guys that showed up to that stadium. And I was with my mother, and we went to that game, and I sat down the right field line, and I'm watching Dennis Eckersley warm up. I'm watching Roger <laughs> Clemens warm up. 
it, it, it was uh, it, it was incredible the amount of great players, the amount of Hall of Famers that were in that game. It, it really was. And, and to be in that clubhouse and look around and to see who's who of baseball, it, I was basically at all because it was my first time making it. Even though I felt I should have been there a few times before, but it was a situation where everywhere you looked, you just knew that this guy could play. And just think if most of the guys who were on both sides and were former Padres, had we all been in the same clubhouse at the same time, what we what type of damage we could have done. And it was just something that I used to think about because at one point in time, we had Roberto, we had Joe Carter, you know, we had Johnny Crook, we had Sandy Alomar Jr. We had so many of those guys yeah. that were in the All-Star game. And it was like, what if we all had remained in San Diego all at the same time and put together a winning season. You know, we could have won some World Series, and, and I always believe that that could have happened. You know, that's the thing that I always think with, with our A's is, is movement is just, it, it is what it is. You know, you're always going to yeah. have new players. There's always going to be different guys. There's always going to be free agents. There's always going to be trades. It, it's just, it, it's the way the business works and it's inevitable, right? I mean, Bip, when you think about right. it, I mean, all the different teams you end up playing for, you know, a lot of people don't realize that you were originally, a, a, you came up with the Pirates. I mean, it's just right. mo- mo- movement in our game. It's just, it's going to happen. Yeah, you know, when, like you said earlier, when you have scouts who've been on you for a whole season, you know, they're assigned to see what you're going to do and how you play. Is he good enough to play in the next level? Can he can he make it up here? Will he fight when he goes over twenty? Well, they sit there and they calculate all of that as they're scouting you. And I remember, you know, coming through the pirate organization, making the All Star team every year, and and thinking that you know after Double A I'm going Triple A. But a funny thing happened after Double A. Uh, pirates took me off the roster because they said I was damaged goods. Bobby Bundy and I had a collision in spring training, big league camp. That was my first big league camp, and bam, we run at each other, and I have a, a bad shoulder. And they took us off the roster, both of us, Bobby Bonilla and myself, and we were exposed to that free agent draft. And the, the Padres called and said, hey, we're bringing you to San Diego. So I'm like, what? I mean, I go from being taken off the roster, and now you're saying I'm coming to the big league. And so now you're thinking, wow, this is how this game works. You're always one phone call away from being in the big league if you're playing well in the minor leagues. And and then so now you go to the Padres and you're trying to figure out where you fit in and how you fit in, even if if you're ready for the big leagues. And unfortunately, I really wasn't ready for the big leagues the first time I got the call up until I went back to AAA and then worked my way back. But then from then I had good years and I was able to prove myself in the big leagues. And once you start proving yourself, and as you say, when scouts are there watching, now they start to figure, how, how would he fit in over here? And then he make trades. And I remember the first time I got traded from San Diego, I got traded for Randy Myers, one of the nasty boys. So <laughs> how could you not make a trade? You know, yeah, we could take a nasty boy. We'll trade you a little bit, Robert. Hey, hey, we'll take the nasty boy. And then the second time I got traded, it was for Wally Joyner. And so it was always for a good player, which, you know, I kind of I kind of felt pretty proud about. Like, well, wait, at least wait, they didn't wait, get you a got couple traded of traded for Wally Joyner? I did. I sure did. Wow. Wally Joyner was with, he was with the Royals and I was with the pods and they were like, Hey, we, we can make that swap. And they made that trade. I was like, Kansas city. 
You know, it's like going to Pittsburgh. You remember that movie? Yeah, I was traded to Pittsburgh, <laughs> but I was traded to Kansas City. So I felt like I was going to Pittsburgh. But uh, yeah, you know, so when you get when when guys are available and, and you can get a good player for a player that the other teams want, you make those trades. So that's why things happen so much because behind the scenes, these scouts are out there working their butts off to figure out who fits in well with their organization. And when they give that recommendation, organizations pull the trigger because they believe in what the scouts say. Well, then you had that barbecue in Kansas City, and you and you knew it was a good deal. <laughs> I knew it was a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. And it was barbecue places outside of, like, the main ones you hear about, Gates and stuff like that. Yeah. There were other ones out there that they were kind of like um, – you know, family owned. And so they would have a different type of sauce. And I'd be like, oh, I got to come back here. And and I'm one of those creatures of habit. If I like something, I'm going to drive 20 miles to get it just because that's what my taste buds are asking for. So KC was, KC was, it was fun. It was two years of working with people like Johnny Damon and Chili Davis, and Tommy Goodwin and Michael Tucker and uh, Mike McFarlane and, and Mike Gubaza. We had some good guys on that team. And I, and I really enjoyed uh, Bob Boone as the manager. He he was tremendous. I tried to run through walls for that guy because I really like playing for him. You know what's so funny about Kansas City is that like everybody's a barbecue snob. Like everybody <laughs> like, well, I won't eat there. And and like for us coming in from California, we're like, every place I go to is the best barbecue I've ever had. But yet they all are a bunch of barbecue snobs. They go, Well, that place is not as good as this place. And you're like, really? Right, right. You know, out here, I, I'm always having a hard time finding a good barbecue place. And I'm like, if I was in Kansas City, I could just go to about six or seven, eight or nine different places, and I would be okay with that. It's hard to find good barbecue out here in the Bay, which maybe somebody listening would say, hey, B, hey, here's a recommendation. But I just, you know, Kansas City, as you said, I didn't have to worry about lunch or dinner. If I didn't feel like cooking, because I didn't feel like cooking after you play a game, I could just stop and grab some barbecue, some chicken, and and I just ride on home, and it, it did me right. I mean, you know, I couldn't ask for more. Hey, so. hey I'll never forget at Kansas City Joe's. I'm like, <laughs> so it's it, they call it flash fried rib uh, ribs. So they smoke ribs and then they flash fry it. I'm like, I have no idea what this means, but these are like the best <laughs> ribs that I've ever had. Like, how do you? You smoke the ribs, then you fried the ribs. Like, how does this work? They were like crispy yet fall off the bone. It was, uh, it was absolutely amazing. You know, by the way, looking at our A's, um, on August 12th, the A's had a 62.5% chance, according to fan graphs, to make the playoffs. We're now at yeah. 0.1, 0.0, whatever you want to call it. What do you think? What do you think happened with this team? Well, I, I think they got a, a shot of adrenaline when the guys were traded over here, Marte, Harrison, Gomes, and Jason. I, so I, I thought those guys came and they fit in well. And you see they all hit the ground running, and it really picked the team up. But I think what happened was, you know, you can't stay that hot for four months, three months, whatever, however long time it, it would be. And I just think that what happens is you have to rely more on your pitching. And with that, I think the league and the scouts, they do a great job of figuring out how to beat you. And I think what happened was the bullpen 
they start to get exposed. And I think what happened was when you see guys down there who don't have overpowering stuff or a breaking ball that's just McNasty, you start to say, okay, if we can get the pitch count up of the starters and get into the bullpen, we can beat these guys. And then what happens is when you're facing a starter who makes a mistake or two, they, t- they took advantage of it. So even if the A's were ahead, other teams start to realize if we can knock out that starter and get in that bullpen, we can win the game. And all of a sudden, teams start to have your number, and then there's nothing you can do about it because the confidence level is so high when they're playing against you that they feel if they're even down 10 runs and they get to your bullpen, they could come back and beat you. And how many games did we see like that? The A's would be up by three, four, five runs, and the other team get into that bullpen, catch them, and then win the ball game. And so I just believe that around the league, when you start talking about certain teams, I think the word got out that if you get into the A's bullpen, you could beat them. When you talk, yeah, the the commander, Commander Cody had that stat, that 12 losses for the A's when they had a three or more. What was it? It was three or more. Yeah, whenever. Lead, right, Cody? Yeah, whenever the A's are leading, uh, I have it right here. Uh, the A's have lost 12 games that they've led by three or more runs. Only the Nationals mm-hmm. have lost more. It's 16. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and you talk about the bullpen. You know, I think about, you know, you know, think about your long, great career. Yeah, uh, you know, everybody, it seems like for certain teams, everybody's throwing 98 to 100 miles an hour. How many of those guys did you face in your career? Well, I know Charleston, Norm Charleston threw hard. Rob Dibble threw hard. Yeah. You know, when, when you just say right off the bat who was throwing hard. So there were guys who threw hard. But I think what they did was they had more than one pitch. And they were able to throw the location. You know, Gibbs kept the ball down. And so if, and he had a bowling ball. I mean, he, his, he had a heavy ball. So he didn't keep the ball up in the zone. I think, guys, even though they're throwing hard right now, they're throwing the ball right down the middle. And so – when you miss, and that's the one thing I saw with our pitchers this year, a lot of balls were down the middle and up in the zone. I didn't see guys get knocked off the plate to set up the outside part of the plate. I didn't see where guys would expand off of the, the, the outside part of the plate. Anytime you can expand off the outside part of the plate, the umpire's going to call it because you're consistent. But I thought our guys threw the ball down the middle a lot and they kept it up in the zone, and that's when they were getting beat. Now, when you look at Montas and how he can pitch, and he has outstanding fastball and an outstanding split finger, he doesn't mind pitching up and in. He doesn't mind going down and away. His fastball sets up his other pitches, so his sequence is one that gets hitters out. But when you don't have that, you know, as as a reliever, you come in, you got one or two pitches, fastball and a slider, fastball and a, a, a curveball. And then if you don't throw up for call strikes, then people eliminate your pitches. Now you're down to one pitch. And so if you're down to one pitch, we're going to sit on that one pitch. And we know your breaking ball is weak that night. So if you throw that and you hang it, we bang that. You throw your fastball because you're throwing it right down the middle, we bang that too. And so now you got four and five guys coming in the night. And it's tough for four or five guys to be on point at one time at that same night. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I talk about that all the time. I'm like, you know, you, you, you got a guy that goes five and dive, and now you got to cover four innings. 
with mm-hmm. X amount of relievers, one guy can screw it all up by not being good. And it, it, it's, it, it's just really rough. And, you know, the question is, if we're really looking at expansion and we're looking at 32 teams, are there really enough arms out there? What's your opinion on, I mean, and I know you've coached, you've coached pitchers. Are there enough arms out there to expand? You know, when you look at it, you say, well, there's millions of guys out here playing baseball. There's got to be some talent out here. I, I just think that it comes down to a lot of times philosophy in organizations. Certain organizations, they have a philosophy of how they want their guys to pitch. And if you don't fit that philosophy, you're not going to be in that organization. You look at the Cardinals, you look at, you know, uh, teams like the Astros and what Dusty's growing over there. And you start looking at even what Seattle is doing. They figured out a formula that works for their guys. So I think that there, yes, there is pitching out there. You just have to understand that when you get to a certain level, you have to continue to hone your technique. You can't believe that you can overpower or make mistakes against the best hitters in the world. You've got to understand, like, facing Glavin and those guys back in the day. Glavin busts you inside to set up outside. Hard in, soft away. Soft in, sometimes hard away. Sinker to run away from the bat. So he understood his craft. But if you're just a guy who comes in and throws hard and I'm just going to blow it by people and you're leaving it out over the plate, it's not going to work. So I just believe that from AAA to the big leagues, that's a bigger step than people believe that, oh, I'm AAA at big leagues is next. Yeah, but you got to be ready for the big leagues because this is the best of the best. This is that 1% of the 1%, the guys that you could not get out in AAA. So you've got to hone your skills to where you understand how to get better. Facing Tim Belcher in AAA, he was different Tim Belcher in the big leagues than he was in AAA. He came up with a split finger. You know, the human tornado, he, he came up with a pitch to get guys out. And that's what you have to do. So these guys really have to focus in on, you know, creating a, a, a formula that works for them, but also being able to physically execute what it is they're trying to do. And if they can't, they, they get beat up. So that's what you're seeing. Guys are not executing. Pitchers are there, but you've got to execute. I remember I did that game, the Yankees and A's, and Romo came in, and he was facing Judge. And I said on air, he's got to execute this slider right now because Judge has his timing down. He threw the slider out over the plate. Judge hits the ball out the yard. So, see, it's again, it's about execution. Even those guys who have success, they still have to execute on this level. So you don't execute, you're going to, you're going to see balls flying into the seat. You know, it's funny you bring up Dusty. You know, everybody has talked about, ah, oh, you got to go with younger managers because younger managers understand analytics. By the way, the two oldest guys, Dusty Baker and Tony LaRussa, they're going to be managing in the postseason. Oh, boy. You know, they're guys who know how. They've been through it before. They know what to expect. They know what to say. They know how to develop. I think that's the key. Yeah, you're in the big league, but you still have to develop yourself into a major leaguer because one, two, three years, okay, you were able to get away with that. But now you're a big leaguer after three years. You should understand what it is, as Tony Gwynn used to say, you have to be able to do what you do and see. So the first three years, you know, people get a book on you. You change the, the scouting report by doing something different. 
the next year they got a book on you, and then that third year you find a way to, to, to get around that. And now you understand the ebbs and the flows of how this game works. You know, they're going to have a scouting report on me. I've got to figure out how to change the scouting report. But the only way you can do that is to have solid, sound mechanics. And when you don't have that, then you find yourself having an up-and-down career. But Tony La Russa and Dusty Baker, having been through that, understand the type of people they need in their clubhouse as far as coaches, how to develop their players. And you've seen that. Back in the day, there was a St. Louis way. There was a Kansas City Royals way. They had these, I guess what you call them, uh, uh, places where they would go, and everybody would play the same way from A ball all the way to the big leagues so that you could plug a guy in when he was ready. You could just plug him in because he had learned a certain technique and a certain way to play the game. And that's what I learned. I learned the, the, the St. Louis Cardinal way of hitting. Hard line drives, create backspin, and hit hard ground balls. I learned that from Gary Templeton. And so there were different ways and different teams and organizations that developed players a different way. And that's why you see certain guys, when Albert Poole stepped into the big league, he was already ready. And he hit the ground running, and he never stopped. That was the St. Louis Cardinal way. And I think when you have a guy like Dusty and, and like Lasorda, La, La Russa, they understand how to develop players from rookie ball all the way to the big leagues and in the big leagues. Hey, on your way out, promote the real estate. Real estate. You got to call me, though, see? You know, I'm with Intero. Uh, you know, I'm here in the Bay Area right now. I've been looking at some houses in Oakland that are being remodeled. They're going to come on the market soon. But uh, I'm out here. I don't, I'm not a commission chaser. I like to make sure people are ready when they want to buy or they want to sell. But I'm here for you. i got a great team behind me, the David Azini Group. And you can give me a call at 925-548-3918. We'll get your house on the market and get you as much as we can. We, we, man, we're getting like 40-something bids per house. So we take the top three bids and we make sure that our clients are happy with that. And on the other side, we have certain houses within our, um, within our, 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 our company that are not on the market yet. So if you can get to me, I can get to you. To, I can get those houses to you before they go on the market, which means that you won't have to compete with people out there. And that house is now 400000 above the price. So call me at Intero. I'm at 925-548-3918. And, and let's get you a house. Get, let's, let's, let's make that dream come true. Great stuff, Bib, sir. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right, Tony. Be good, man. Y'all be safe. The great Bib Roberts. Coming up next, Chris Rose will join us right here on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live continues from the East Bay. Here's Chris Townsend. You know, just uh, take you behind the scenes. Cody, my phone has died. What did you text me? Oh, it was about... Uh, promoting Bip's uh, his new show he's doing. So I told him we'll, we'll get it in next time, and he said, "Don't worry about it. I appreciate all the all the stuff you guys do for me already." We'll promote it right now, so we promote it. Yeah, he has a new show that's launching. Um, I don't know where to find it. He didn't tell me, but it's, oh, it's actually going to be on it's going to be on Apple on the Apple Store soon. But it's Ace Baseball Bipster. So he's it's like a thirty minute show where he goes around the league and talks about the biggest stories. It looks like so. Um, that's going to be pretty good stuff because Bip was great for the 30 minutes we had him right there. So you can essentially get that from Bip, I think, once a week where he does it live. So uh, hopefully it'll be out on Apple soon. As we told me, he said it's going to be coming to Apple, the Apple Store soon. 
So, oh, well, did, did you did you text him and say, "Well, you know, I'm I'm no one's a bigger fan of Bip Roberts than I am." No, I told him. I told him. I said, "Next time we'll." Uh, I told him that uh, that we'll get it. We'll make sure we talk about it because we always talk about the uh, cutoff man and and um, the oh, real estate tool. I mean, I grew up when I was in high school. Bip Roberts. You know, I grew up in San Diego, and Bip, Ro- Bip Roberts came up as a Padre, and I was a huge, huge fan of his game. And it's been an honor to do television with him. It's been an honor to do, you know, Bip and I, I created a, back on 95.7, I created a hot stove league show and had Bip on. Um, no one's a bigger fan of Bip Roberts than I am. Yeah, and he knows that, so I let him know that, uh, I told him thank you for his time, and then that we well think about that. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, you know, I'm 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 obviously aging us, but for a guy that grew up watching him play, to then, you know, Bip becoming a friend and 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 working with him, that's really cool. Yeah, no, totally. It's um, I wouldn't say it's full circle, but it's almost full circle for you from growing up watching him and now you're friends with them and you know yeah he was i mean bip roberts was a terrific player you know what you know what bip roberts was cody he was a winner i mean he was a good player (laughs) he was a winning baseball player he did everything he made a lot of contact he stole bases he was versatile could play a lot of different positions he was a winning player and that's why he had such a great career I don't understand why that team at Pittsburgh decided to get rid of him. I mean, what have they done recently? God, he collided with Bobby Bonilla. I mean, you think about these two guys who had unbelievable careers and the Pirates left them available for the Rule 5 draft? Bit odd. That we know we know about Bobby Bonilla getting paid on this was July 2nd or July 1st Bobby every Bonilla year. for <laughs> No, no matter what you think about him and the fact that he actually challenged me one time at Candlestick Park, there's that famous thing about him in New York. But back when he was the Marlin with the Marlins, he did the same thing to me. He, like, got up in my face. The great Larry Kruger at KMBR will attest to this. I'm like, bro, where, where are you going with this? Bobby, Bobby Bonilla has anger issues. There is... No question about it. I experienced it in the clubhouse for the Marlins at Candlestick Park. Like, I did not ask him a tough question. He literally rose up on me, and I'm like, are you serious? Like, what are you going to do? You're not going to hit me, and I'm not going to hit. And by the way, I was, what year was that? He was, that was like 97. Benny, let me check. When they won the World Series? Oh, oh, yeah, it was 97, Marlins, yeah. You know, back in 97, I was still kind of a young guy working out a lot. <laughs> you know, so it's like, if you wanted to go, I would have been prepared. Like, now I'm an old guy now, so, I mean, it is what it is. But back in 1997, I was still working out a lot. If Bobby Bonilla wanted to go, I would have been, you know, I would have been able to defend my he he's a lot bigger than I am, but if he it you know, I was no slouch at that time, let's just be honest. 
I'm, I'm thinking about it now. 97 to now was 24 years ago, so that was half of your life ago. <laughs> yeah. I was about I was about 190 and ripped. So it would have been who, who, who hits who first and gets the good shot in. But I was like, I was so taken aback by how unprofessional Bobby Vanilla was. We were having a conversation. We're trying to interview him for the Giants pregame show when Larry Kruger and I were on KMBR, and he just he just wigged out. It was so odd what he did. And then he stood up on me, and I stood up for myself. But it was just one of the oddest moments of my career. And that flashes back to when he was in New York. I don't remember. Remember that writer where he challenged that writer to fight? Yeah, I forget the writer's name. Let's see if I can find the who. I, I can't remember. He's he's kind of a famous New York personality. I can't remember his name. But yeah, I mean, it was like, you're rising up on me, really. And let me tell you something. Other Marlins came up and were. I'll never forget this. It's almost like the Marlin players came to our defense because they knew what a nut job this guy was. So when he rose up on me, I can't remember, was it Jeff Conine or somebody like that came up and was like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, I think it was Jeff Conine. He was on that 97 team, right? Yeah, he was on the 03 team too. Uh, the, the, the writer in New York is Bob Clappish. Yes. Guy that's been in the media for years. When, 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 when players start challenging media to fights, you got to understand the guy's got issues. Bottom line, like Bobby Bo ri- rising up on me, and I wasn't doing anything wrong. It was not. It was. It was so uncool and unprofessional. I'll never forget it. To where I can't tell you. I mean, all these years since the nineties, I've been going into clubhouses. Uh, I'll tell you two of the guys who are who who are the greats: Craig Biggio. Craig Biggio is a great guy. Um, Ricky Henderson, I did multiple things with Ricky Henderson as wait for it, a New York Met. (laughs) Yeah. Ricky's great. Like everybody, like everybody acts like Ricky, Ricky's great. Ricky was never as, as great as Ricky Henderson was. Now I didn't get him in his prime, so I don't know what he was like in New York. I don't know what he was like when he came back to Oakland and he was the highest paid player. I dealt with Ricky and and we've dealt with him on this show. Hell, I've had a drink with Ricky Henderson at a Raider game. Did I ever tell you about that? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. Yeah, I bought Ricky Henderson a drink at a Raider game. Now, of course, I did post game, but uh, <laughs> but I was I was it was in the East Side Club. I bought Ricky Henderson a drink at a Raider game. Ricky's great. Ricky's unbelievable. I mean, there's a lot of great play. I thought Piazza was always good. Um, there's a lot of great players. You know who changed when he got to the A's? Because he was not this way in Chicago. Oh, the big, the big hurt. The big hurt changed when he came to Oakland. Like, you come to Oakland and you walk in that clubhouse, you're not playing that you're the big hurt anymore. You're one of the boys. And Frank Thomas was fabulous. 
to deal with. Like all the A's have always been great. There's never been, there's been two guys. Should I say it? Uh, I, I think I know who you're going to say, but. <laughs> Guess. Two guys who are the biggest pain in the asses. And I had to bowl. We used to have the bowling tournament. I had to bowl next to this guy, and he drove me nuts. I couldn't stand it. Um, well, I, I have an idea, but mainly because these two guys didn't they get into a fight. But I was going to say, correct. Uh, I would say Billy Butler and Danny Valencia. Danny Valencia, literally. Danny Valencia, literally turned around on a bus, and said to Ray Fossey and Roxy Bernstein. And Roxy, I'm sorry to out you on this. He said to Ray Fossey, do you know how hard it is to play this game? He had no clue that Ray Fossey is a two-time World Series champion, an all-star. Two-time all-star. Two-time all-star. Two-time gold glove winner. Everything Danny Valencia will never be in his life. And he said that to Ray Fossey. Danny Valencia is a first-class jerk. And Billy Butler, oh, my God. Billy Butler, <laughs> I mean, you can't even believe how bad these two. The, and you know what? The fact that they fought each other is just, it's like perfect. Like, two people couldn't deserve each other more than Danny Valencia and Billy Butler. I mean, unreal. I had to bowl next to Billy Butler. We had that bowling event in Livermore. No, it would have been Pleasanton. Great bowling alley. I can't remember the name of it, but it's an unbelievable, you know, unbelievable bowling alley in uh, Pleasanton. And I hosted that event, and I, I bowled next to Billy, and the stuff he was saying, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't stand you. Put it this way. Steve Vucinich, who is retiring, who's been here since day one, he's got a list of guys that are not on his all-time great guys list, I can tell you Danny Valencia and Billy Butler are on that list. All right, you want to get to uh, Chris Rose here? Uh, yeah, sorry, I was looking up Danny Valencia's career stats. Sorry, that's what I was doing. Is he, like, where is he? Is he still playing? No, he's, um, Valencia is 30, his last year was 2018 with the Orioles. He hit uh, nine home runs with the Orioles. He, had, he has 96 career homers. But he's right now, he's 37 years old. Danny Valencia comes from family money. So the money he made in baseball didn't matter. And that's one of the issues with Danny Valencia. Just saying. 13 and, and I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to let it go. It was like a real quick. I always thought it was so like when people told me, including you about Billy Butler, it's like he seemed like such a good guy when I watched him play for the Royals. <laughs> Nope. Nope. He was like the savior for that back in the day. Like he was like the best. Yeah, yeah. Like, you thought he was like the big guy who was, you know, jolly go lucky kind of kind of guy. No. Put it this way. The Oakland Athletics gave a guy thirty million dollars and and let him go after one year. So for two years, he was such a bad dude. They paid him for two years just to go away. Think about, Cody, think about when the A's have done that. In the history of the Oakland Athletics, where a guy was such a bad guy, 
they paid him to go away for two years. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. All those years in Kansas City, pretty consistent hitter, has a decent, actually his 2015 year with the first year with Oakland, not great. Second year with Oakland, not great. And then he goes to become a New York Yankee after he's on with the ace. And then never plays again. Yep, he hasn't played. That was five years ago. Yeah. But he was the guy in Kansas City. Like, during when the, the Royals won the, went to the World Series in 2014, like, you thought, like, he was, like, a big part of why they got there, why they were rebuilding with Hosmer and, and Moustakis and Escobar. And to find out, they couldn't wait to get rid of him. Yeah. And then he comes here, and he gets a big contract, and he's gone after essentially a year and a half. <laughs> Think about that. Bye-bye. We didn't pay you to go away. You're such a bad dude. You go to the Yankees, they couldn't stand him either. Gone and hasn't played since. He played 12 games for the Yankees. 12. Bye-bye. That was a weird time in A's baseball. There's no question about it. John Boy Media, Chris Rose, who works for the NFL Network, but now has the podcast for baseball on John Boy Media. Uh, you saw him for years on the MLB Network. He joined me earlier today on A's Cast Live. Chris, it is always great to have you on the program. We truly appreciate it. Uh, obviously, the uh, A's are leaking oil down the stretch here as they're trying to make the playoffs. The percentages aren't good. Your Cleveland Indians are already out of it, but just a few days left in the season. Very interesting what's happening in the American League. Yeah, I mean, if you want to start with the A's, obviously, I thought – even though they were still very much in it, I thought that series in Toronto is the one that kind of took a lot of the air out of that balloon. Um, for them to have the leads that they did and their bullpen had been so good and so dependable. And then, you know, to lose the games the way they did up there was just a kick in the gut. And I get it that they were still very much in it. I don't even remember. They probably even held a wild card spot after that. But those right, are yeah. those are ones that are really tough to recover from. And then where they lost, what was it, a full, a full four-game series to Seattle, I believe, in Oakland. Yes. Um, you know, it's it, that's tough. It's tough. And, and I'm, I'm surprised because this team has been so seasoned over the last few years. They've got one of the best managers in baseball. And – if I were to bet on a team that would be able to handle it and not go 500-ish in the month of September, you know, I would have bet money on, on the A's being able to, to get it done. They haven't. And so now you've got Seattle that's right there. Um, I'll be shocked if Boston doesn't get in. You know, I know they lost last night, but they play, they still play two last-place teams in Baltimore and Washington. So if they don't make it, they're going to just going to be kicking themselves. And I think that the other team that will make it is the Yankees. And you could have Boston, New York next week. And that would be amazing for baseball. And uh, I think it would be a fascinating watch. What do you make of the, especially the American League? And, I mean, you can throw it also with the National League because, I mean, my God, with St. Louis having won 17 in a row. But the streakiness of all of these teams, you win a ton, lose a bunch in a row. What do you make of just how streaky teams have been in 2021? Well, I mean, I guess part of it is that 
with the good streaks, there were some teams that just went hard sell at the at the deadline, and so they just became they went from 500 or slightly below 500 teams to just god awful teams. And if you get them on the schedule a lot, then you can really pad your win streaks going. Um, but I don't know if it's different. To me, it doesn't feel like it's much different than any other year. I got to be honest with you. I think it's, you know, I think there's a lot of streakiness to it. I mean, heck, it was four years ago that that the tribe won 22 in a row. So, you know, hey, cards, call me when you get to 22. I guess. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty. You know, it's kind of reminiscent their their ending of the season very much of 2007 when the Colorado Rockies won all those games in a row and gotten that one game kind of like playoff with the Padres. Yeah. Uh, Padres fans are still waiting for Matt holiday to touch home. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, and it's funny. It's, you know, Cardinals fans are like, well, we, we better lose, but I don't want to go on a losing streak before we have to play most likely the Dodgers next week. But I want us to lose at some point. Like, Okay. Yeah, I, I think what they'll do is now that they're in, they'll make sure that their bullpen guys are getting plenty of rest. They'll probably give guys like Goldschmidt and Arenado, you know, and Tyler O'Neill days off when they need them uh, because they, they can't do a thing about their position. They're going either to L.A. or to San Francisco next Wednesday, and we know that. Um, but, man, it's, you know, it's been really fun to, to watch them do their thing. Um, They've got a bunch of guys who have been to the World Series with that franchise, a few that have won it with that franchise. And I'll tell you this, just being around Dodger fans here in L.A., they don't want any part of them. They know that the Dodgers are a really good team. But a one-gamer against St. Louis, which has had a ton of playoff success against the Dodgers, I think it scares the hell out of L.A. fans. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, and of course we're up here in the Bay Area, uh, to think that whether you're the Dodgers or the Giants, you're going to be in a one-game winner-take-all, which obviously with the A's, we've dealt with that multiple times. Just think about that. You win over 100 games, and you're in a one-game for your for your playoff life. Just how crazy is that? Well, I mean, it's not like it's, we knew all the rules going in. That's why they put a premium on winning the division. I will say this, that if the Dodgers or the Giants lose that one-game playoff, I think there's going to be a push to make it two out of three. I really do. And um, I wouldn't be against it. I love playoff baseball. Uh, I've enjoyed the one-game you know, there's been some great one-game series, right, wild card uh, over the years. And, uh, you know, sometimes the one seed, they have so much time off. You know, like, for instance, whoever wins the West is going to go from Sunday until Friday, I believe, without playing. It's a long time in a baseball season. It really is. And some guys aren't going to pitch at all for eight or nine days. That could be brutal for you in a short series. It's why we have seen some upsets with that one seed over the years, I do believe. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because I think about your time in the NFL. 
I think of the NBA. I think of the NHL. I think of, you know, whether it's college football or, for God's sakes, the the uh, tournament in basketball where they expanded to 64. Expansion postseason has never been a loser. It's never been a loser for money for these leagues. It's never been a loser for ratings, which obviously we, we pay a lot of attention to in the media. So when you bring that up, like, yeah, a one-game playoff versus two out of three, it's never a loser to add more playoff games. I'm with you. I'm surprised we haven't. Um, I don't know what the idea is. I mean, if they're saying, well, you know, it gets pushed back until, you know, then we're up against it weather-wise. Well, hold on here. You could do the wild card immediately. You could do it the next day. Start the series the next day. Like, if you're the, if you're the worst wild card team, if you're the five seed, you don't get a home game unless you advance to the next round, okay? So you could have the four and five seeds. St. Louis could fly out here to L.A., play on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They do it every day during the seasons, and then you start the next round on Friday. Boom, there you go. You've squeezed out a series. People feel like they, you know, the better team won because it's, you know, baseball's decided by series, not by singular games. And then there you go. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it seems like it seems like a no brainer. Let, 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 let's promote the uh, podcast you're doing with John Boy, because I, I think what you're doing is absolutely fabulous. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, it's the Chris Rose rotation. So we've had a half dozen active major leaguers as my rotating co-hosts. Comes out twice a week, drops on Monday and Thursday. And then I do a daily uh, podcast. I started with Trevor Plouffe, former major leaguer, played with the A's a little while. Yeah. Uh, obviously best known for his days up there in Minnesota with the Twins and also finished up with Tampa Bay, Philly. Um, and we have a daily show. It's very simply called Baseball Today. So you download it wherever you get your podcast. We have our own JM Baseball YouTube channel as well, which is really growing. Um, and, you know, we cover the, the five hottest topics in baseball in a day. And if you need to know what's going on and get our opinions in 20 or 25 minutes, just, you know, subscribe to it and download it and we'll be good to go. What do you think you have learned from doing the interview? Cause I mean, I mean, you know, going back with you for so many years, I mean, your great career, you know, the, the best damn sports show to what you've done on the NFL network. Did you, what is it like working with different guys on a weekly basis? And what have you learned from the different guys? Well, I mean, to me, it's a blast because they all have such different stories and different hurdles. I mean, you've got guys like Lucas Giolito, who was a can't-miss first-round prospect, whose wife had to basically sit him down and say, "What? Hey, what you're doing is not working. Get your get your crap together, and let's roll." And then you've got a guy like Miguel Rojas, who had never lived outside of his grandmother's house coming to this country at age 17, getting dropped off in Billings, Montana without learning English. And 15 years later, he's the de facto captain of the Miami Marlins and their team player rep and one of the most respected guys in the big league. So everybody's got a different story and it's our job to bring it out. Uh, They all have different thoughts on scenarios that play out. You know, we love talking about stuff that doesn't even involve them or their team. 
Um, everybody had an opinion on what happened with the, you know, the, the little data sheet that Alejandro Kirk of the Blue Jays left at home plate and Kevin Kiermeyer picked it up. I had Salvador Perez, a catcher, give me his thoughts on it. I just taped one with Lucas Giolito that'll come tomorrow. He gave his thoughts. I'll talk to Tyler Glass now of the Rays coming up in an episode. He'll give me his thoughts. So uh, I always love getting those different perspectives. Uh, that's the most important thing to me is that not everybody thinks the same and you can disagree and not see things the same way and still respect the hell out of somebody. Well, that is fascinating. By the way, how did they all feel about that? I mean, I mean, it, that does something, th- th- these little sheets that are in baseball caps or in the back pocket, that is all new to us. How do these right. guys feel about a, a player from another team going, you know what? I'm grabbing your stuff. You left it out there. I'm taking it back to the dugout. How did these guys all feel? Well, it was interesting because I did ask Salvador Perez, who's what, a seven-time All-Star catcher? I thought for sure he would have been pissed off. He was like, nah, you know what I would have said? I would have gone to our pitching coach and said, hey, listen, they got our sheet. We're going to totally change up everything. So they're going to walk up thinking one thing. Let's change it up. And then Lucas Giolito, this will air tomorrow. I don't want to give too much of it away, but he was basically saying, hey, listen, if you're dumb enough to leave something on the field, hell yes, I'm going to take it. And if you want to come back over and get it, I'll give it back to you. But by that time, who knows? Maybe I will have read it. Maybe I won't. So it was, you know, while some people were saying, oh, it's cheating. He wasn't being, you know, truthful about it. Uh there's a lot of layers to this and a lot of different opinions. And I'm sure Tyler Glass now will have a different one when he joins us from the Rays. Well, your podcast is outstanding. Thank you so much for the time. We truly appreciate it. Keep doing what you're doing. You're helping grow our game. And, uh, and uh, you know, what we're trying to do here is very similar to what you're trying to do. And we're, we're changing what, what baseball fans, how they get their information, how they get their entertainment. So, once again, thank you for the time. Be well and be safe, and we'll talk soon. Yep, sounds great. I appreciate it as always. Thanks for the time. The great Chris Rose from John Boy Media joining us on A's Cast Live. Coming up next, Kylie McDaniel from ESPN right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Earlier today, we hooked up with Kylie McDaniel from ESPN and ESPN.com. Here is my conversation with one of the top writers in our game. Kylie, when you look at the American League, kind of crazy how this whole thing's coming down. And obviously with the Oakland A's, I don't think we're going to be a part of it. Yeah, it sure doesn't look like it's going to work out that way. I, I, I guess you should probably assume from my position that it's just always going to go how you don't think it's going to go because nobody's nailing all the playoff teams. But, yeah, there were definitely some surprises. I just did some radio in San Francisco and they were or, – sorry, in San Diego, and they were like, remember the game of the season when you said San Francisco was an old team off to a hot start? Now they might win the division. I was like, I do remember that. Thanks for bringing it up, guys. Well, man, I think about San Diego. You want to talk about taking a nosedive. I mean, That's the biggest guys- surprise for me. The, the Padres, you know, one, one, once were a team that you thought no question would be in the postseason to being eliminated as fast. Now, obviously, the Cardinals winning 17 straight changed all of that. But, 
I mean, you talk about a, a horrible nosedive. The Padres have been terrible. And it's got to the point where, I mean, they traded in so many chips to make this year the year that, like, there is going to be – I mean, you could have guessed if, if we told you in the middle of the season this is what would happen to the Padres. You'd like, oh, there's going to be a reckoning, whether it's the roster or the farm system or the front office or whatever, and we'll see what they're going to do in the offseason. Obviously, with the CBA coming up, that'll affect the offseason a good bit. I'm sure we'll refer to that a few times. But, yeah, there, that was why I was on San Diego radios. They were like uh, – Pathan and I uh, reported some of the changes in the front office, and they're like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know, but, like, they're obviously changing things up because it didn't go the way they wanted it to. I'm not sure if the guys they got rid of are like the problem. Uh, I would imagine there's going to be further changes, but yeah, that's the, uh, I, I would argue that Oakland is not in quite as tough of a situation as San Diego, but they're in a tough spot as they always are just because if the payroll's not that big, when something doesn't work out or you got to shuffle things, it doesn't give you a lot of margin for error. You can't have like, you can't be carrying an Eric Hosmer contract and, and just get by like San Diego can. You know, not getting too into it. I actually, I'm actually from San Diego and know people inside the organization. And I know some people that have been released. And I just, I'm looking at AJ Preller and I'm going, how long does this guy survive? Yeah, there's, I mean, you can ask those questions about like, uh, you know, Jerry DePoto, like tried to make a move for it and then decided, are we going to do a quick, like two-year rebuild, gets an extension now, you know, might make the playoffs. It probably won't, but, you know, we'll get reasonably close. And then next year will be the year when they're supposed to make the playoffs. How many times can you pivot under, usually it's you go for it once, it doesn't work. It's like 50-50, you get fired there. And then if you try to do a rebuild and don't make it the second time, then you definitely get fired. And like some of these guys are able to, it basically just comes down to the GM's relationship with the, with the owner. Cause you know, there's guys like in Colorado, like those guys just stay for 10 years when they get hired, unless something goes really wrong. If you make the playoffs every, you know, four or five years, you get to stay for a decade and other places, you know, uh, like the Mets, it just seems like a revolving door of just like, yeah, that didn't work. Let's try somebody else in the same way it is in like European soccer. European soccer is basically like college football where it's like, you got about a season, maybe a season and a half. And if we don't like it, you're out of here. Yeah, I, I'm pretty shocked on some of the people that 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 have been let go in San Diego. And uh, Sam Ganey is a guy that uh, is a family friend, and and it's uh, it's kind of a shocker. But uh, to each his own. Do, do, do you think Bruce Bochy? I, I I mean, no one has talked to Boch in a long time. We had him on the program when he was coming up here to uh, be a part of a, a Tony Larusa Arf event. Uh, what are you hearing about Bruce Bochy? Do you think he possibly could be back in San Diego? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of names thrown around, like his, Ron Washington, Buck Showalter, a lot of these sort of uh, old hands, meant in a positive way, uh, a little steadier, have been there, have been in the battles. And I think another issue is, like, the, when the leaders on your team are, you know, often in their mid to late 20s or more combustible personalities, when things aren't going well. I remember when I worked for the Braves, uh, we brought in Nick Swisher as, like, a veteran presence, and then uh, it was not going great in the second half of the season. And we realized a little bit too late that Nick Swisher is that personality. I think everybody has an idea of what I'm talking about. That's a great guy to have when you are a pretty good or very good team. When you're a terrible team, people do not want to hear the rah-rah guy. And I think there's a little bit of that with the Padres where it's like when things aren't going well, I don't think anybody rightfully so. Nobody planned for this to not go well. So I think there was some of the personalities might be a little more combustible when things aren't going well and the pressure gets turned up. But if they're winning, it's like a really like they're maybe the most compelling team in baseball to just watch the games. It's so fun. But that also kind of means the downside is when things don't go well, it looks real bad. Yeah, we know Nick Swisher real well around here. <laughs> it feels like he's been around just enough that like pretty much every division has had an experience with him. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you kind of know exactly about Nick. When you look at the American League, now obviously we're still in play, but I, I'm not going to play that game anymore. Like I think we're going to make the playoffs. 
how do you think how do you think this thing breaks down? Because really, Seattle's in it, kind of, but it really is about Boston, New York, and Toronto. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's not super surprising if you said, hey, it's going to be yeah, Boston, New York, the biggest payrolls, you know, the Rays who just seem to be good every year, the White Sox who've really pushed their chips in the middle, the Astros who also have pushed their chips in and have a big payroll and have been good for a while. And then there'll be some surprise teams on the fringes like Seattle kind of getting it together, Toronto maybe a year ahead of schedule. Like otherwise, this one's gone a little bit chalk. Uh, and I would definitely lean toward uh, Yankees and Red Sox on this one. I'm just pulled up the Fangraphs playoff odds and they, they seem to back me up as well. But but yeah, I would say even before the season, I think I may have had all those. Te- I think most people would have had those five teams picked out because typically in the American League, you project both uh, wild cards to come out of the East. You're going you're gonna to end up ahead of the game. And then I guess the NL West on the other end of things, typically you'd say both wild cards out of there coming into the season and you were, I guess, half right. What's well, just how shocked are you by the St. Louis Cardinals and what they've won 17 in a row? Yeah, and there's a little bit of, I mean, there's been the sort of baseball Twitter joke of Cardinals devil magic and, you know, every other year something crazy seems to happen and they, they seem to have like a never ending uh, assembly line of like second basemen you've never heard of that make a lot of contact and are good for two years. And like they, they seem to have this like institutional knowledge of like how to make the most out of what they have. And then with the Randy Rosarena trade and missing the playoffs a couple of times, like they seem to have like lost their mojo just a little bit. And now, if, you know, you told someone three years ago, oh, the Cardinals won 17 in a row and snuck in the playoffs when everyone counted them out. That would sound totally normal three years ago. So I think they're just like a, a well-run, lots of continuity organization with a pretty big payroll, a little bit of margin for error, weaker division, and they just had a, maybe a little too hot of a run. And then most recently they had a little too cold of a run, and now they've gotten hot again. So like in that, you know, big sort of five, 10-year uh, sort of meta look at things, not super surprising, but like any team winning 17 games in a row when they're like not projected to make the playoffs is obviously super surprising. And oh, by the way, they got a bunch of old guys when we were told old, old guys can't play anymore. There's always room in zigging when uh, everyone's zagging, especially when there's a lot of, you know, your whole team needs to be 25 and cost controlled and, uh, you know, progressive minded, need to have those four seamers up in the zone and power hitters. And uh, there's, I know when I was working at Fangraphs, Eric Longenhagen and I would have a lot of conversations about like, well, you know, everyone's looking for like sort of the Freddie Freeman type guy that can both hit and hit for power, has a lot of loft in his swing. At some point, teams are going to start looking for that, like Nick Marcakis kind of guy or the, con- the contact kind of guy, because the contact kind of guy has got the really flat swing these four-seam fastballs up in the zone are very flat. Like, eventually, that, that sort of meta game between the hitter and pitcher will flip, and teams that are, like, leaning into that sort of player and getting them for very cheap uh, will have an advantage. It's just kind of hard to tell when that's going to happen and how quickly it'll happen. Uh, but, yeah, I think we're definitely seeing, seeing elements of that popping up. Uh, we started saying this three, four years ago. I think in the last year or two, you've seen that popping up. Well, Eric's great. We've had him on the program multiple times. And um, please tell me that the game is going to change because – I'm looking like last night, if you look at the box score of the A's and the Mariners, two teams that obviously are are battling for a playoff spot, I see a lot of guys hitting around 212, 210. Please tell me the game is going to change. We're going to have more guys actually hitting and being successful at hitting. Yeah, it's a little tricky because I think right now that like Jack Peterson, Kyle Schwarber kind of guy, the sort of low average, enough walks, but a lot of strikeouts and homers, the the three true outcomes, not a ton of defensive value. You know, if you go back to like when I was, you know, growing up, not to date everyone, but like Jose Cruz Jr. was like the first guy I remember being that kind of guy that he would hit 210 and you're like, oh, that guy should be starting though, because, you know, you realize the other things he does are useful. Um, Those guys, I think, are now being lumped in with first baseman and are in that kind of CJ Crone. Every year they sign for a one-year deal for less than $10 million. And so 
the market is shifting a little bit just because those guys seem fungible and, you, you know, end up be- becoming parts of platoons and things like that. And I think that kind of player, but with defensive value, is still valued. And I think that kind of player, uh, but with a lot of contact, obviously is valued. And so I think that sort of more one-dimensional guy is a problem. The issue is if the best players in the game, like if Fernando Tatis Jr. is putting up six-win seasons batting 220, but it's not going to go away. So I think if, if that's all you can do, that's a way to make sure you stay in the league. But yeah, I don't think you're going to see teams paying $80 million for sort of that one-dimensional slugger, unless it's somebody like Nelson Cruz that like can also hit 320 every now and then, or at least, you know, keep it above 250. Like there's enough hitability there. But yeah, I think, I think in that sort of meta game, it's going to take some intervention from the league in terms of rules and things like that to move it along, uh, whether it's, you know, doing something with shifts or moving the mound or, you know, training and like kind of all these things interact together in ways that we can't predict so it's not gonna be quite as clean as you want it to be uh but i think things are moving in that direction just and i'm also you know hearing that in other parts of the industry where so many teams are adopt- adopting like a progressive point of view and everything's an algorithm that now you know teams you know until recently the results like san diego was doing a lot of sort of gut feel traditional scouting types of decisions that again until recently seemed to be going pretty well and like you know Kansas City started hot and was kind of doing that sort of thing where they probably weren't going to make the playoffs but they were just going to spend money anyway because they want the team to be good like there was a little bit of value in that uh, but until teams win the World Series doing that you're not going to see it you know widespread across the league both steering away from those two three outcomes players and steering away from some of these you know management consultant sorts of approaches to building teams. You know the three true outcome guys and what really scares me and I'm not going to mention names that are on our team, but you'll look and say, hey, this guy has X amount of home runs. The majority of them are all solo home runs. So if you're hitting a bunch of solo home runs, you strike out a ton, maybe you walk a little bit, what really is your value offensively? Yeah, and if that's, you know, a left field first base DH kind of guy, it's, it's, you know, that's a one-year deal guy when he hits the market. So, like, that guy's being incentivized. Again, if, like, all he can do – be that, you know, latter career Kevin Millar, play first base, be right-handed, do that kind of thing, uh, then, you know, the market's not, not you know, looking kindly upon that. Uh, but then also, like, the, you know, the solo homer versus the other types of homers is more the on-base of the team as opposed to what he, like, he's just trying to hit it. Uh, but, you know, that's, I don't know, that's one of those thorny issues where, like, there's three or four things all tied together and there's 17 things causing it that are also tied together. And how do you sort of disentangle that? It, it's sort of, you need all the league, both from the guys making the decisions to uh, to the guys on the field to sort of, you know, move relatively in concert to shift that. And it kind of takes a long time. And I think, unfortunately, the way the game was set up was in, like it took us a while to figure it out. But like given the way that the, the, the game is set up and the rules and things like that, it always should have been going toward this because that's what the rules were encouraging. Well, I'll tell you, if you want to talk about comeback player of the year, uh, the guy that has basically maybe – turn that this season against the Oakland Athletics as they've won. The Mariners have won 11 straight against the A's. Mitch Haniger now with 38 home runs. I mean, very, very impressive. Talk about his year. And, and, and you're now you're looking at Ted Williams and Willie Mays as guys who didn't play the year before, obviously because of their service in the military, but for, you know, you, you start looking at a, at, at a guy that didn't play the year before and what he's done this year is pretty incredible. Yeah, and obviously I, uh, I sh- there, there was a bit of a joke on going back to my Fangraphs days when I was uh, in a chat. It became an ongoing thing for someone to reference Mitch Hanniger's injury because it, it was almost hilarious how uncomfortable it sounded. Oh, it was very <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, like I don't even want to say what it is. You can Google it if you want to see what his injury was. 
but it, it was just sort of like almost again it was like almost hilarious how uncomfortable it was that you're just you sort of have to laugh uh and then to come back from that at age 30 again with the conditions of where the league is in general and all that kind of thing uh yeah i, I and that's another one that i didn't see coming and it's not, it's not a ton of contact it's not a ton of on base uh, but it's a decent approach and it's a bunch of power. And I would have guessed he was probably past that era of his career, but you know, that's why we play the games. They're not all, uh, you know, stratomatic cards. You know, let's end on this. How do you think this off season is going to go knowing that the CBA is up in December? I get callers all the time going, are we going to resign Starling Marte? Are we going to resign Josh Harrison? We can resign Jan Gomes. And I'm like, I don't know how this offseason is going to go. How do you think this will play out? So Jeff Bassett and I have been going back and forth on a spreadsheet for a week or two now where I'm putting in my projections for what everybody will get. And part of the issue is, and I've had this conversation with Jeff, all the people you know, he's been talking to, I've talked to a bunch of agents and front office people, and the issue is the offseason you know, starts right when the World Series ends, so you know, October-ish, uh, and then December 1, the CBA ex- ex- uh, expires. And nothing can happen until the CBA is signed. And we've seen with all the various labor negotiations over the last, you know, five years or so, nothing's going to happen in terms of signing an agreement and getting the offseason going again until there's some sort of uh, time uh, constraint, which I think the beginning of spring training is that constraint. So I would imagine they won't even have, like, discussions that could lead to, a, to like, a finished signed uh, CBA until like mid-February when it's like, oh, you know, pitchers and catchers are supposed to report or like maybe early February when it's leading into that. So there's going to be like a full like two, two and a half months where just nothing's going to happen. And so when projecting the off season, you then say, okay, well, then that gives us, uh, call it a month and a half, uh, two months where players can sign, knowing that there's going to be some sort of, you know, stoppage to the off season, who would sign ahead of time? Because we would assume the CVT threshold for, you know, what the big teams that spend the most money, that'll probably go up. We don't know how much. I guess there's a chance it goes down. But almost more than likely, it'll go up. And so those teams don't know what their payroll is yet. So they can't go spend to their limits. So the big money guys, the Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, those nine-figure guys, I can't imagine any of them having a real discussion before December 1st until they find out how much money is actually out there. And some of the low money guys, if you're from a team perspective, you're thinking, all right, our budget might be 160 million. It might be 180 million. Every scenario, no matter what the budget is, includes us signing this guy for this amount of money. Then you'll go ahead and try to sign him and he might sign. So I think what's going to happen is uh, between the end of the World Series or I guess five days after the World Series and December 1st, you're going to see a handful of guys sign for more than a one year, couple million dollar deal. I think you might even see a couple of deals as high as 30 to 50 million in guaranteed money. Some of these, you know, three to four year uh, starting pitchers, maybe like an Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, below that Stroman Robbie Ray range, but in that like three times 15 kind of area, I think we'll see a couple of those guys sign uh, because their, their prices that they're going to get aren't going to be subject to the CBT. Uh, they're just going to get paid regardless. Uh, and then after everything gets signed, February, March, that's when you're going to see all the big money go. That's when the big teams know how much money they have to spend and all that kind of stuff gets resolved. And so I was saying to my editor today, I'm going to write capsules for 50 free agents. And I would rather not say if he's going to possibly sign before December one or is going to sign in February or March. And he's like, Oh, we'll just add a line where it says Tyler thinks this guy gets four years, 60 million. And then it'll say odds that he signs before December one. So you don't have to talk about it with every guy. Cause that's going to be the first part of the discussion for every free agent. Is he, is he going to go at the beginning and try to get some money and, you know, be situated or is he going to sit and wait and see what happens. And it might be March 15th by the time he signs a contract. 
And that's going to get super annoying for him to hear about, but that is going to drive the entire market. So we'll see you in 2022. <laughs> you want to call me about March 1st and be like, hey, the A's have 20 mil to spend, and they got a couple holes to fill. Who are they going to sign? I'll be able to give you an answer then. But right now, no chance. I, yeah, that's like, I don't even, are we going to have a winter meetings? I mean, we went to the last winter meetings in San Diego. Are we even going to have a winter meetings this year? They're scheduled. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be there. Uh, but yeah, I've, I, from what I'm told, they technically exist. Well, once again, we'll see you in 2022. <laughs> Unbelievable. Hey, great stuff as always. Let's do this in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Take care. Be well and be safe. Okay, have a good one. Kylie, it's it, it's good stuff, but I think that is a reality that you and I, Commander, are going to have to get used to is that we may not have a whole lot of business going on before that CBA is done. You're telling me that we won't see Carlos Correa sign a mega deal before December 1st? Nope. Uh, well, we'll figure Kyle it out. Eager. Uh, no, Corey well, Seager. Both of them. Kyle Seager might be a uh, free agent too, but yeah, he's not going to get the money his brother will. Trevor Story, uh, Max Scherzer. Although Scherzer's not going to get that much, but still the three biggest guys. Scherzer will get an annual. He's not going to get a long-term deal, but his annual, like what he makes per season, will be big. Yo, yeah, his AAV will be, will be pretty high because Jeff Passan had an article earlier about breaking down the tiers of free agency, and he put top of the market, meaning they're ahead of the, all the tiers. It's Correa, it's Seag- and it's, it's Correa and Seager, as he put, as the two top guys that you're going to want in free agency. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. The way he is pitched, Max Scherzer's not leaving Los Angeles. Now, I don't know what they're going to give him, 30-plus million or whatever, they have the money, but he's not leaving there. That's not going to be that's not going to be open for debate. Wifey and him want to be on the West Coast. He's not going anywhere. I agree with you. I just don't think it's that team in Los Angeles he's pitching for next year. What do you want to put on it? What's that? What do you want to put on it? Oh, I, I just feel like uh, I just put a little wager on it. No. Uh, what do we? What do? Uh, I'm a I'm cheap, so it's not doesn't involve money. Um, so what do you want to do? What a white claw, <laughs> uh, little rookies bet, rookie sports lodge that we both like to hang out in. Sure. What, what are we doing? Fine. All right. Fine. We'll do that. Pick up the tab. I guarantee you he is a LA Dodger next year. I don't know when you got people like trout and Otani saying that they want to win here and they need to, and trout saying they need to sign people and how they want sure. And trout wants Scherzer. I mean, that, he carries some clout in that, in that clubhouse. Okay, so are we on? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. But we can virtually shake. (laughs) Yeah. This is a a Google Meets shake bet (laughs) that Max Scherzer will be a Los Angeles Dodger next year versus you claim he's going to be on the West Coast. He wants to be on the West Coast. Padres don't have enough money. He's not going to the Giants. He's not coming to the A's. God knows he's not going to the Mariners. It's going to be L.A. or Anaheim. I'm saying L.A., you're saying Anaheim, and I can't wait to be right. Well, we'll see. I mean, I already I already proved one Townsend wrong this year, and it was about the uh, Padres versus Dodgers. So, 
That had nothing to do with me. That's why I said I proved one wrong. So let's let's make it two for two. Nothing to do with me. We got to get him on the program. I I never got rewarded for my. uh, What was the bet that you had with my brother? I I don't even remember if we ever settled on anything. I just remember he said, "Let's." I guarantee you that the Padres will finish with more wins than the Dodgers. Okay, Bob. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, How'd that work out? (laughs) I mean, as much as we've kind of tanked. No one is tanked like the Padres. What are they? Uh, I, didn't, I don't know. I didn't see if they won last night or not. And they already. And, and the sad thing is, is you know, you know, there, there's some people that they've let go already who are really good baseball people. And I know I mentioned one name earlier today, um, who's a good friend of my brother's and actually takes golf lessons for my brother. Uh, AJ Preller is circling the drain down in San Diego. Like yeah. I like. I, I can't imagine you going into next season with this guy who is basically known as a great international scout. And then you made him GM and he's made all these different moves. Like he's been in it. He's been out of it. He's spent all this money and you fail like this. I just can't imagine him having his job. I can't imagine like, I don't even know who owns the Padres, but I can't imagine whoever it is who owns the team. I can't imagine them having faith in him going forward, making decisions for that team. Yeah, I, I don't think he's uh, going to last. Long. So he let him go. They remember when they fired Larry Rothschild because he was the problem. The reason why the team stunk. Uh, they They have fired a bunch of people recently. Yeah, and, they and fired their minor league director. They fired a bunch of people. It's like, uh, I I don't know how. Like as a GM, you start firing everybody, and in the end, you're the one that signed everybody. They're right now. They've lost four in a row. Currently, right now, before their game tonight, they're seventy eight and set. They might finish with a losing record. Wow. Think about that for a second. I, I have yeah. to let me let me pull up their page. Because baseball reference does a great job of telling you like what I have. I have no clue who owns that team. Um, I think it's Ron. Ron Fowler's like the vice president of the ownership. Yeah, but he's a minority. And, and there's then Peter. There's some rich. There's some rich guy. That Peter Seidler. Seidler. S S E I D L E R is who. When I typed in Padres owner. Yeah, they, remember, there's always a majority owner, and it's always the guy with the cash. Yeah, but I only saw Fowler was the guy because of all the Fowler is a minority. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot. He doesn't have a lot of ownership. He's got some. All right, so here we go. The Padres were 18 games over 500 on August 10th. They're one Oof. game under on, on September 29th. Oof. That is so bad. <laughs> hey, by the way, you want bad? I think they're – I don't know if I'm reading too much into this or not. And I know that David Forrest or Billy Bean would not admit to it. I think there is something to Zach Geloff being called a AAA. He is a second-round pick that a lot of people thought would be a first-round pick. He has performed well. We saw him when the commander and I went to the San Jose Giants versus the Stockton Ports. They moved him to AAA. Forget high A, forget double A. They're all done. They moved him to AAA. 
He's big, he's athletic, and he can swing it. I think there is something to him going to AAA. Because you want to note on uh, Matt Chapman's last six games? Well, yes, I do. He's one for 23. That is a 0-4-3 average. Point zero four three, eleven strikeouts in six games. Scott Boris is calling you and wants $200 million. This guy's won for his last 23. Last time I checked, he's hitting 212 on the season. He has 100. Scott, Bor- Scott Boris is calling you for $200 million? Yeah, and he has 199 strikeouts on the year. Second 11 in- strikeouts in the last six games. And this guy wants $200 million? Do you I, maybe may, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, and it wouldn't be the first time, but the fact that this kid that they drafted, who they're very high on, they moved him all the way to Triple A. Think about that, from Low A to Triple A. I, I don't think you're reading too much into it, but I also think that maybe they just wanted him to get more at bats because he had a short minor league because he got drafted this year out of college. And the minor league season ended for all the lo- the teams besides AAA. And they're like, well, let's get him some at-bats. And it's Nick like Allen, AAA? Yeah. I, I, I'm wondering, are these guys going to be here? Are you going to be shocked, buying or selling? Are you shocked of Matt Chapman at 28 years old, hitting 212, and his agent wants 200-something million dollars? you going to be shocked if he's not here? No. So I'm I'm buying that he might not be here. Who's going to pay him that kind of money? Well, it's not the Angels. They have a third baseman that's already making a, too much money. He doesn't play. Uh, it the Yankees. They already got a guy they like. Yeah. I'd have to think about what team could use a third baseman that's really good defensively. What team is going to pay a third baseman hitting 212, striking out over 200 times, $200 million? There probably isn't a team that's going to do that. That's why I'm saying college guys move fast. College guys are not meant to be in the minors a long time. Why is Zach Geloff in AAA already? Going from low A to AAA. It's an interesting thought. What do we got coming up next? We're going to play the community spotlight with Vince, and then uh, you're on in, I don't know, six minutes with Ace Total Access. Love it. We're off tomorrow, right? Yeah, last off day of the year until the final series against uh, Houston. We're talking to Blummer on Friday. I already talked to him. Is it a is it a white claw Thursday for us tomorrow? Uh, Dina's mom's actually coming into town. Oh, well, I mean, I'm, I'll be free. <laughs> <laughs> Your future mother in law. Yeah, future mother in law is here to go, get wedding dress fitted uh, with Dina. So I have really nothing going on. Wow, that's awesome. We'll see you tomorrow, and we'll be back in moments right here with A's Total Access. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.